Welcome to the Working Dog Depot podcast with your hosts, Rich Harden and Howard Young. Well, Howard Young, that was a great episode, man. A couple of, a couple of Stevens, Stephen Houston. Very nice to meet the other Stephen this evening, a really nice guy. Had a, had a really great conversation. I thought that was uh, I thought it went really well. Yeah, they're two good guys. I, you know, wanted to give Houston some credit for providing us with some assistance in getting this thing on the road, and we uh, we've been working at it. Yeah, I mean, a lot, I think a lot of good questions are posed there. I think I might have missed a couple things on some behavior changing stuff, but maybe that'd be for the next episode. Maybe we can uh, provide some context and and. Uh, discuss that in, in, in further. Sure. And I, I think that uh, the subject of morale was was uh, kind of a fun one. And I think there's there's another facet to that, and that is looking at growing the culture that you want. And uh, that's another, another topic that is kind of related to morale. Sure. I think morale and leadership go hand in hand. Sure. You know, you don't have to, I'll, I'll, I'll back up a little bit with I think leadership is a choice and not a position. And I, I really firmly believe that I think you can lead no matter where you are. I mean, there's some things that, you know, the the leader uh, by rank affects a lot of things sometimes. But you can circumvent a lot of that by leading yourself and leading those around you and making where you're at a little better place. For sure. So we're doing things a little bit differently. This is uh, we're going a little backwards, but we are giving an introduction, but we're also doing our bourbon tasting on the front end rather than the back end. And we're talking about, or we're sampling Weller Special Reserve. Oh, yeah. A, a tasty bourbon. You know, that whole Weller series, of course, we've uh, talked about this at length. At length, this is, uh, man, such wonderful bourbons come out of there. So Weller, the uh, I think the 12-year, they call it baby pappy, right? You know, mm-hmm. they test it at 12 years, and uh, if they think it's right, they move it on to the pappy thing. If not, they they bottle it, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty tasty. I'm not gonna lie. So this is the special reserve, and it is a 90 proof bourbon. And uh, again, just like a lot of those Buffalo Trace products, it is tough to find in North Carolina. If you find a bottle, you better jump on it. Well, we were just talking before we before we started. I have the. Uh, the green bottle, which is a special reserve, then I have the uh, the red label, and I also have the black label, and uh, all of them are tasty. The black label is really good, a little smoother, uh, but this is this is not bad at all. It's a good bourbon. My goodness, yeah, I was lucky just to score this one. I don't have those kind of choices. Well, I've been a little spoiled. My wife has spoiled me on a couple of purchases, and uh, had some really good friends that have gifted me some really wonderful bourbons for the bourbon bar here. So. When you're here next, we'll have yeah. to come back out here and have some more tastings. Absolutely. Now, the 12-year is the black-labeled one, so I, I see that. Yes. Yep. Very good. So, folks, we hope you enjoy this uh, joint effort. Never done an, an episode like this before, but I think I think it was a good one. It, it, it really was. Some, uh, some nice conversations, good folks, and uh, as always, you know, supporting each other in the dog training world is uh, not the norm, and I think that we're better together instead of apart. Absolutely. Well, here, my friend, here's the hair of the dog that bit you. Yes. Thank you. 
All righty, there we go. We, we're going, we're off and running. So uh, welcome everybody to the podcast. Um, this is a hybrid episode bes- between Dogs of War podcast and the Working Dog Depot podcast. So very thankful for Stephen and I to be joined by the uh, gentlemen that are sitting across from us on the screens, Mr. Howard Young and uh, Richard Harden. So welcome everybody to the show. How you doing? Thanks for having us, guys. We appreciate you. Yeah, this is the first cool. time I've ever had a foursome. Does that sound bad? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> and so we were just kind of talking off air and, and we were kind of missing some gold. So I'm just going to jump right into that. Howard, if you if you want to describe uh, the situation, you know, we don't have to name names or agencies or anything like that, but uh, what you were just talking about and, and then we'll all kind of feed off of that. Sure. I, I think that the broad topic is really morale. And, you know, morale has an effect on people regardless of their profession. But I think law enforcement in particular right now has probably suffered uh, some pretty big blows over the past couple of years. And uh, you could argue and say that those have always been there. But I do think that the job has gotten harder. And, you know, we were we were talking, I was talking to one of my handlers about he's a senior handler and he's he's been around a while. And uh, he's seen people come and go, and he's been in it. So one of the things that we talked about was the fact that morale can be an issue, but sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with the dog. And I think, the, you know, what we discussed was that that's probably something that you don't, if you're going to take on the role of the trainer, you don't really even imagine that coming up. But that is the reality. You're dealing with people and people with different talents and skills and situations in their lives and, and, and then agencies having, you know, pains that are, that trickles down. And that's kind of where we started with the conversation. Well, you know, we talk about morale in police departments and, and don't get me wrong, you know, being a former police officer and, you know, for, former canine officer and trainer instructor and working for one of the largest police, well, the largest police department in the state of Kentucky, there's always morale issues. And I would say, you know, over the, especially, you know, from, from COVID on the, the police definitely got kicked in the balls hmm. a lot from, you know, defund us and all that kind of stuff. But there's always been morale problems from your, from your government entity. You know, most chiefs are a political appointee. Uh, they uh, sheriffs are political appointees and, you know, they have bosses they have to please. And, you know, one thing that we always try to focus on in any unit that I was in was the department wasn't responsible for my morale. The organization mm. in itself. Mm. We'd like to think they are, and we'd like to think they care about you. But go ahead and retire, and see how many people care about you. One monkey don't stop no show, man. That that monster will roll on again tomorrow. That I don't mean when you don't see the guys that they say, "Hey, how you doing, man? Miss you? You know, wish I could see you more." It, it, that's not the point. Is once you're gone, you're gone, and that that machine continues to roll. So if you're looking for that organization to affect your morale and make you feel better about yourself. It doesn't matter. You're, you're going to miss that. You're going to miss the big picture on that because they're not going to care about your morale. Because matter so, of fact, you're a number and they don't care if you in these large organizations, they don't care if you come to work or not. In the end, they might say they do. They can get on the news and, and in front of their constituents and tell you how much they care about you. But they really don't care about you. You know? Yeah, I, I, I felt that. 
I felt that definitely in the military. You're, you're a number, you know, like you, you, somebody could get hurt or killed and then a week later they're, they've already filled that billet. And personally, you know, I'm not a law enforcement officer. I do work with police departments locally and, and, you know, around the country and, and do some decoying and stuff like that. My grandfather did 28 years for Chattanooga PD and it was like his 27th and a half year. And he was the supervisor on a case where an officer, did something that he shouldn't and it wasn't that big of a deal nobody complained not even the suspect and somebody went to internal affairs and said that's not what happened this is what happened and that my grandfather you know whatever and they moved into the courthouse man he had to cut his hair off that was like down to here and like start wearing wow. a uniform to work and then he was like yeah i'm done and then it, they just completely wrote him off you know that's that's crazy uh rich i'd, I'd like to to piggyback off of something you said morale does affect us in, in such a deep way. And I think off air, you had mentioned that basically a lot of the trainers that either are put in a situation where they're, they're prepared or, or not, or some guys who maybe want that position, one or the other, sometimes don't have the skill set to, to lead. And I, I've, I've seen it on myself felt like I was not ready when I took that position. I was kind of told, Steve, you have more to offer than you're letting out to everybody. We need you to take more of a leadership role. And I, denied it and denied it. And I was like, man, I don't want that responsibility. I, I just want to worry about me and my dog. I don't want to have that extra stress. And then it got to a situation where I was kind of forced in that situation, whether I liked it or not. And it was kind of a sink or swim thing. And then it was like, okay, how many resources can I possibly reach out to, to make sure I get this right? Because I care about these guys too much for me to mess this up. But the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm training multiple departments and the morale within those departments are vastly different. I was not prepared to recognize, man, you know, this couple months, th these teams are just smoking it, doing great, showing up with a great attitude. And then, you know, a week later, it's like, dude, what's going on? You know, and, and having to play that role in the trainer role is I had no idea that that was something that was going to be put on my lap. How in your experience, how have you dealt with that? How have you managed that circus that could be kind of crazy sometimes? Well, it's just about making the people better around you because you can only take care of your part of the world. You can't yeah. fix the administration. You know, if you work for a bad boss, you work for a bad boss. You can only take care of the person to your right or your left. That's mm -hmm. what true leadership really is. Leadership mm -hmm. is a choice. It's not a position, you know. So when you step into that row, whether, you know, you were kind of forced into it or, you know, I said, well, I'm, I'm you know, you're the, the best candidate for that job. And you said, OK, I'm going to do this. Well, now you're the leader. Either you're going to manage people which doesn't make you a great leader, right? Because uh, I've known a lot of great dog guys that aren't good supervisors, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just, it's just part of the, part of it. You know, most most good dog people aren't good with people. You know, yeah. I know a lot of great dog trainers, but don't have successful businesses because they can't deal with people. Right. And the last time I checked, the dog pays no bill. It's <laughs> people that pay the bill, right? So it's it's the same in, in any organization. You know, like uh, I give Louisville Metro a good example. You know, they have they send their trainers out, they get training, you know, they have training nights, they pick their own dogs, they go, you know, they have good testing for those programs. So they do a pretty good job, but most small agencies in the rest of the state don't have any of that. So, you know, for, for example, when I became a canine officer, you know, many years ago, like 1996, I was not a trainer. I barely knew, you know, what the, okay, the crap comes out of this end. You know, I hold the leash here. That's what I had. And so then you're, but there's no one else to help us. There was a, another small agency and he had some experience and this guy over here had some experience and we got together and, and made something of it, but we didn't, we didn't have resources. 
I worked for an agency that couldn't send me to schools. They didn't have the money. I could pay for the school. They let me use their car mm-hmm. and drive up there. You know, uh, I had to pay for my own food, <laughs> it, but you know, you, you had to do what you had to do to get, to get better. So th- to, to bring that back to the rest of the state, you know, those guys that step into those roles, they don't have the same resources as larger agencies have for sure. And so they're, they're at best, they're going to get a bastardized system of a bastardized system of a bastardized system that somebody started a canine unit, you know, four counties over. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what they have today. And it's not their fault. I'm not, I'm not beating them up or, you know, it's the organization. The chief comes to the sheriff comes to you and says, Hey, we'd like to start a canine program. And they start this, they, they get the lowest bidder because the agency can't afford anything. They raise some funds. They go to some used car salesman and get a dog that, that has no out, barely has obedience. Don't make it a little obedience. You'll, you know, you'll diminish his drive. What? What do you mean diminish his drive? He's just supposed to bite everybody. What if he gets loose and, and targets a child? Do we have a recall? You know, mm-hmm. and that's what, and that's what these guys are getting out here. And I've seen it over and over and over again. So the, the dog world in, in general has, has some problems. Howard, I think you're kind of in a unique position, uh, you know, as a civilian and a mental health professional, what, what do you think that like you as a trainer for, for a department can bring to the table to kind of help with the morale issue and, um, you know, explaining to council or the, the higher echelon of the government that, that controls the, the department? What do you think you could do to, to kind of combat some of these issues or other trainers can be doing to kind of help with that? Well, I think sometimes you have to recognize that there are there are things that are out of your control. And you have to see the bigger picture. I think sometimes handlers get very disillusioned. They've invested this chunk of time and they realize that this dog is expensive and they get the dog and they think that now their life is going to be all about utilizing that dog. And the reality is, is that with the numbers where they are in a lot of agencies, guys are getting pulled to do different things and that dog's getting put on the back burner sometimes. And it's not what you spend all that time and, and continue to spend all that time doing as you prepare this dog to become very proficient at what it does and they get very disillusioned. So I think sometimes what we have to do is we definitely can't focus on the negativity mm-hmm. and the upside of, of about being around for a, for a while is that, you know, sometimes we'll hear stuff come up and I go, this is very cyclical. It, it, mm-hmm. It's going to come up again. It's going to go away. And this is just the way big, big organizations work sometimes. And these things just have to play out. Right. And you just have to keep guys encouraged. Um, and, and again, not focusing on the negativity because that can bring a group down fast. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And a lot of times, whether you realize it or not, a lot of the guys are, are looking for direction and kind of setting the tone from the guy at the top, whether you're prepared or not, you've, you've got to set the tone. So I, I do the best now that I'm cognizant of it, because when it happened to me, it hit me like a like a train. And I was like, holy crap, what's happening? This is falling apart because I was so focused on getting the dogs right, getting the handler right, getting the dogs right, getting the handler right. But that broader picture was not something that I even thought of taking that trainer role. Until it hits you, right? <laughs> yeah, then it fits you hard. Right. Uh, one, one of the things I try to do is kind of be a buffer sometimes between administration and that handler. Mm-hmm. I try to be an advocate for both. I try to tell my handlers, hey, listen – this is what your administration is dealing with, whether you recognize it or not. It's not an excuse, but this is what they're dealing with. And when I talk to the administration, I'm like, hey, this is why the morale is down right now. These are the things that I believe you can do to make this better. Uh, on the inside, I, I understand what's happening, but on a broader scope, if you want this canine 
unit to be a success, these are the things that I recommend go in place. And a lot of times, because I'm just that third party guy, right? For whatever reason, they listen to me. <laughs> and sometimes I get it right. And sometimes I don't. But, I, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm still fighting for my guys on that end that, like I said before, wasn't really prepared for. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, a lot of this sentiment and, and issues that, that I hear from agencies, you know, kind of is in correlation with the, with the military and then the VA system that, that we deal with. And it, it just seems like it's always an ongoing, never ending problem. And, you know, I don't think it'll ever be fixed, but um, I do, I do agree with what Steven said about going to the administration and saying, Hey, this is why the guys are doing this and feeling this way. This is some things that you guys can do better, whether they listen to that or not, who knows, you know, but um, I think that's, that's doing the right thing for your guys. Well, I think it also gives you an opportunity to bring it back to the guys. Because, you know, when, until I became an owner of a business with employees, you know, I didn't see a lot of the big picture things. You know, when you make a decision based on what you think is better for your company, not everybody in that company is always happy about your decision. Mm-hmm. You know, and nothing can be better said than a police department, right? I've been the guy on the street and something comes down from the top and you're thinking to yourself, man, that's probably the dumbest thing. But you don't see the big picture. You don't know what, you know, what, what the cause and effect was that brought that down sometimes. You know, and, and they don't have, and they don't tell you, you know, because it's a it's a big a big cog that's that's spinning, and, and they don't have to tell you everything. They make those decisions. So I think <laughs> you being able to address that, being like you just said, you can also bring it back to the guys. Look, okay, this is this is what they're saying. This is what they see. Mm-hmm. So we need to do better at this too. So it, it kind of makes it a team effort. I agree. And and when I was in the military, a lot of times. You know, this is bullshit. Why are we out at the armory at 5 a.m. to draw weapons and the trucks don't pick us up till seven? And like you don't realize that all the truck drivers are training and going through this protocol and this process and a good leader. I remember having good squad leaders and team leaders. They're like, hey, guys, this is what's going on. This is why it's bullshit. But this is why it's happening. And I think that that transparency is huge. Sure. Doesn't mean people are going to like it, but at least you can understand and have some empathy for for what someone else is going through. I think sometimes though, is that there are some people that you're never going to give them enough information for them to be nope. happy. Yes. You, you can true. keep them <laughs> up to date to the minute and <laughs> it's just not enough, not enough. Yeah, I agree. So to, to not to totally change the subject, but uh, to both of you guys, I'll start with rich. Um, I mean, I remember you hearing, on your episodes of your podcast that you, you had a puppy and the puppy was in the room and kind of making some noise. So how, how's your puppy? What's his name? What's his breed? What's his purpose? And then Howard, I want to ask you about uh, Jaeger too, or Jaeger, excuse my pronunciation. Well, right. uh, I have a Dutch shepherd. He just turned six months yesterday. He's in the room. He's much quieter nice. today. I, he has a Kong instead of a deer antler. So that's. Well, that guy's gonna... got a marrow bone. That's why you're hearing all that noise. I should get a Kong next be a little quieter. But uh, he, usually when my, my adult dogs turn five or six years old, I usually get my next puppy. And, and that dog that I've spent all this time with helps me raise that other dog. And I've had great success with, with a good dog trainer because a, a great dog is a really good dog trainer to uh, show. Like riding in a car, she's quiet. So now he's quiet somewhat. He still has some issues, but he's a big knucklehead. He's a Dutch shepherd. Not, really nice dog. I don't have buyer's remorse yet. He's a, a really nice, really nice pup. Enjoying a lot of it. And we'll do all the standard stuff with him. You know, he'll do obedience, bite, track, do some scent work, that kind of thing. Awesome. Howard, how's uh, how's your dog doing? He's okay. I mean, he, we uh, had some thunderstorms roll through. He uh, And I think I've probably told, we've talked about this in a previous conversation. He He's not afraid of thunder. He kind of aggresses out 
So he, he barks. It's quiet now, but uh, an e-collar works wonderful for that, works wonderful for a lot of things, but it definitely keeps him quieter. But he's a handful. I mean, he does. he's really good here at the house. He's become more difficult to take out to places, but mm. um, he's, I mean, he's, he meets our needs here for sure. <laughs> Since I, both I, of you are taking care of, you know, young dogs, I think it's a, an appropriate question for both of you. When you're evaluating a dog for, let's say, police work, whether it be detection or dual purpose work, what do you find is that sweet spot, that age that you really, that you would go to when you think at this point in this dog's life is a good time to determine whether this dog is or is not going to make it? Wow. Well, I personally, every dog is different. <clears throat> I was just having this conversation with a nice young lady today about her German Shepherd puppy that's maturing very slowly. Mm. And they say that, quote, she's behind the rest of her litter mates. <laughs> well, she, she may be. They may, it may be doing a little better. But if you buy the right genetics and you're a dog trainer, you know, I have a, a concept of whether people are actually dog trainers or not. If you had to have one one type of dog in one training way, methodology wise, you know, it's up to you to develop those genetics into what you want, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, I think a good age to know whether the dog is actually going to make it in say, if you're selecting a, a police candidate, maybe mm-hmm. a police dog candidate, you know, 10 months, I would say I, I would have a really good idea if that dog was going to be successful or not. Now there's things when I'm, you know, if I get to raise my puppy, like I'm raising this puppy, I would, I could say, I could see things probably a little earlier, right. but if I'm going and having to select a dog somewhere, I would like to see something that's at least 10 months of age. I would say the industry being what it is now is that uh, obviously we're, we're being forced to evaluate younger and younger dogs. Yeah. yeah. And good luck finding that 18 month old dog, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so my, my cutoff used to be three years of age. Oh, that wow. was my upper end. Yeah. So typically we would look at dogs that were at least two. And you guys know as well as I do, there's a monumental difference between a 10-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And two and two and mm-hmm. So those balls drop and things change and those dogs are very different. But I think you could find what you need from, from most 10-month-old dogs. I, I would not have believed this is, is such a significant thing as uh, I was told that this line of duchies that my, my dog comes from is very slow maturing. And it's the first time I've actually seen that be true. I thought it was just kind of a story that somebody was telling. And now, lo and behold, this dog has been very slow to mature. But I will say this, when he decided he was a man, he decided he was a man. <laughs> and uh, so and that's the other part that I've heard about it. But well, Isn't that the biggest drawback that you see with folks, though, is everybody gets in a hurry? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, you have these dogs and. You know, you, you see it, uh, and I'm not, and when I say this, folks, I am not against any tool or piece of equipment that's used correctly in dog training. But when you see, you know, 15, 16 week old working dog puppy is on a prong collar already, you know, well, does it need a prong collar? I mean, maybe it might, you know, but do you, do you have to have one? Can you take, right. can you take a little more time and, and develop some more training for that dog? And, and especially if it's your own dog, you know, that you're going to be raising. And I think people just get in a big hurry. I, I agree. A huge mistake. Yes. And, and I totally agree with what you brought up, Rich, about, you know, every dog's different and, and, you know, needing to have a, a certain style of dog as a trainer, the biggest, that's one of the biggest eye openers for me as a, as I've been growing my pet dog training business is that 
that one style of method doesn't work with every dog. Some dogs don't give a shit about food. Some dogs don't give a shit about toys. Some dogs don't accept pressure and, and being able to, to read that in the dog and then adjust my, my methods to me has been huge and, and such a learning curve personally. Okay. Makes you a dog Exactly. And, you know, I'm still young and all of that. I get it. But you, you work with pets. You have a very successful pet business and all of that. What, what's some kind of, uh, and Howard, you can kind of piggyback off this too. I know you, you don't do a whole lot with pets, mostly, uh, you know, the police and working dogs, but what, what are some tips or, or some kind of knowledge that you can share with the audience on, on the value of working with police dogs? Yeah. We all like putting the bite suit on and being with flashy working dogs and stuff. But at the end of the day, that doesn't, that in most cases that doesn't pay the bills all the way. Okay. So you mean the value of working with pet dogs versus yes. police dogs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, th- you brought up the, the biggest point is some of these dogs don't want to work. You know, if you look at, I love, I love the doodle in theory, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, uh, they look like snuffleupagus, but depending on, you know, where you got them from, you'll either get one that has some drive and some desire. You'll get one that has no soul. Flat. Uh, it's just that black eyed, poor dog you look at him and you're like and he's been smoking weed with scooby-doo somewhere uh <laughs> you know and you're not going to get anything out of him so uh, you can you can drag him around by the head if you want with a with some type of tool and try to get him to engage but you know learning how to get that dog to follow you and do some things will bring more out of that dog and teach you more about dog training than any nice i mean i would love to train my my, my dutch puppy every day as a, for a living it would be really fun and it would go really fast and I could make a lot of money, but that's not the case with the pet dog world. The more things you have in your, you know, your toolbox, the biggest thing I will tell young trainers or anyone else build small obstacle courses, you know, out of your climb stands out of, you know, two befores or concrete blocks, whatever you got, it doesn't have to be fancy, but the more things you can get those dogs to negotiate with you and be successful, they'll start to follow you. They'll gain some confidence and it works wonders over and over and over again. And so you don't have to have a full-blown agility course. I'm not saying that. Build little stupid obstacles, weave out in and out of flower pots. Doesn't matter. Whatever you got around the house, those things will, will pay you more dividends than uh, people will actually imagine. And real quick, Howard, before you, you know, uh, respond to that, I usually do one or two, maybe three, depending on the dog lessons in the person's home first. And then Home Depot is definitely on the list because it's a treasure trove of a, it has air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter. So you can kind of get, get inside and get out of the elements, but the environmentals that, that, that places can offer man, tight spaces, going under things, going on top of things, going between things and seeing all these different people, dogs and equipment. I, I think that's a great tool. And I, I've, I've worked with some dogs that are scared of their own shadow, but you get them out there, you get them going on top of things and under things and, you know, being super high energy and, and a lot of reward. Like it brings those dogs out of their shell. Yeah. Cause you're working harder than the dog is. Absolutely. Energy wise. Uh, yes. <laughs> you get five or six of those dogs in, in the truck a day, you'll, you'll earn your money there. You will. Uh, <laughs> it'll wear you yes, out sir. quick. Howard, what's your what's your take on? Uh, I was going to say the- I was going to touch on something that Rich had, had, when, when he was making the he was talking about the prong collar on a fifteen week old puppy. I, I would say that for many many trainers, those are the tools of the trade. Mm-hmm. That's what they know. So yeah, and, and I'm and I say that because that was what I that's how I was taught. Right. Not necessarily a prong collar, but everything we did was pretty much Pressure. force. Yeah. And it was it was using a lot of force sometimes more force than was necessary. 
unfortunately, I mean, I wish I could apologize for some of those, but it wasn't until much later in my career that I began to recognize that there's more than one way to do this. There's many, many ways to do this. Yes. And uh, I've been pretty open and honest about just learning about uh, luring and free shaping. I, I guess I understood luring, but I didn't understand free shaping probably six, seven years ago. I didn't know mm -hmm. what that was, right. nor would I have seen the value of it. But mm -hmm. I sure do now, without a doubt. Absolutely. So a lot, a lot of the old ways of doing things, a lot of the trends that we saw back in the day where people had, you know, some success, right? Because some dogs called for that type of training, but it didn't encapsulate all dogs, right? And now I feel like we're getting to an age where we're starting to really understand how to approach training for the dog that's in front of you. What are some of the trends that you guys are seeing now? Maybe good trends or bad trends? What are some of the things you that you would put under the category of this may be more of a trend and not something that um, that's sustainable for a long period of time? Oh, wow. I would say the struggle for, and this is, this brings social media into this. Yeah, I was I hoping we're going to go that route. I would say for some people, it's the struggle to try to become and remain relevant in this, in this social media world. Oof. So this, the struggle to continue to provide these interesting videos of doing things and, and they're all very cool. Uh, at least most of them are cool. Sometimes they're just not, not all that, but, they're glimpses of what can be done, but I think what most people want to say, let's see, is let's see something from start to finish. Yeah. I want to see what does the end product look like? You can show me all the flashy stuff and these little pieces of, of what you do, but let's, let's see what this dog really is like in real life. What function does it provide if it's supposed to provide a function? Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with the, with the social media just a public service announcement for everybody out there that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, they're not real places, folks. Uh, once you know that, they, they're not real places. <laughs> and, and people only show you their wave tops. They don't mm -hmm. show you their lows. You know, we've discussed this several times. People will send me videos off of Facebook and they'll say, well, what do you think about this? And I say, well, I have no opinion. I'm like, what do you mean? It's not enough. Not well, enough. I don't know the context. And that might have been the best rep they got today. Mm -hmm. Right. So there, there may have been things that I would say I probably wouldn't do that, but I don't know where they came from. I don't have enough context or information to have an, an, an informed opinion on what someone's doing based on your video. Mm -hmm. So that, and that's the problem with Facebook. As soon as you post something, a dog that's not, you know, we we take, show on Double H, we show all of our dogs in big clips each week from day one to finish dogs. So you'll see mm -hmm. dogs breaking place. You'll see dogs not coming to trainers, you, you know, and then all the comments that people, well, that dog's not, well, of course, yeah, it's day two. Yeah. He's not <laughs> supposed to be, man. You know, we're, we're showing you the process of the dogs because we have, you know, we train right around 900, 950 dogs a year there. Damn. And not every dog on day one looks like a, an Instagram video. Not, mm -hmm. the, not what you guys post, not you guys personally, but you know, what's out there. Right. And we're showing dogs from day one today, 15, 21, whatever it is, you know, so, and cause it, you know, owners want to see their dogs go, learning to go to place and, you know, some dogs go to place and jump right back off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, it's not cool, but it's, it's the truth. Part of the process. Uh, and that's all you can do. That's all you can just is show the process. And then we just deal with the comments, you know, <laughs> matter, well, most people we get in there too much. We just ban you. I'm just not going right. to listen to you. So uh, 
as as somebody, you know, I'm way younger than all you guys, and, and it's not like I'm not saying you're old. I'm saying in, as far as being in the dog game. Um, <laughs> as, as is a He's old. <laughs> <laughs> somebody who's making a living purely off working with dogs. Rich, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Like I'm nervous sometimes to post videos of, of work with dogs because of the criticism and the backlash, you know, and I feel like that's like a balancing act because I try not to read comments and, and you know, the negativity because you, you'll never please everybody, man. It's not possible. You can post a video, you walking across water and somebody's going to have something to say about it. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, day, the day you try to please people on social media is the day that you don't live in that real place again. You exactly. know, the only thing you have to worry about is your client and the proof is in the pudding. You know, if people, you know, the, the, the market in any industry tells you if you're good enough or not. Right. Mm -hmm. If Amen. people show up and they pay you money for a service and that's repeatable and you can scale that, then the market says that you're doing okay. And that's all you have to worry about. Well, social kind of media is social media is part of our business. It is the new word of mouth and our clients post mm -hmm. about us and their friends read it and they come to us based on that. And that's what we care about. Oh, I don't care idea. what, other, I don't care what another trainer in whatever Nebraska or says about what we're doing, or we don't have a rubber floor. I mean, when people said, we don't, you don't have a rubber floor. We're going to give you a one-star review. <laughs> what? what? Who, who do you, who are, who are you crazy? People? <laughs> you well, know, you bring up a good point there, Rich. I think that one thing that we can control that I, I just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, you know what? I can do better is if I post a video, I think there's some value in showing all of uh, how did you get there, right? Like yeah, absolutely. All, all of the mistakes that we made to get there, you can make the argument that's more valuable to people than just showing the, the final product. If I'm, if I'm concerned about selling a product, you can make the argument that that's a be better indication that I know what I'm doing than just showing you the final product. And the next time I do that, I'll, I'll shout you out. I'll be Rich Harden in the bottom right side somewhere well, in the video. Also, I think this is my first rep of my dog doing a hundred yard off leash recalls. First rep, first day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, one. Well, there's two things I think as we we peruse these videos is one, not every video requires your response. Mm -hmm. <laughs> People aren't waiting around to hear what you have to say about their video. <laughs> mm -hmm. The other is is that there are ways of asking questions. For whatever reason, you know. Facebook or social media allows all decorum goes out the window. People become keyboard warriors and they get very bold in their responses. Oh, yeah. And you will find it's been my experience is that if you find something that you really feel compelled to ask about, that doesn't resonate with you or you don't understand, there are ways to ask questions. And apparently mm. that's a skill. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't put people on the defensive and right. you'll get the information that you need. And sometimes you, what you might find is that you, you actually have more in common than you have differences, even if it's a really bizarre way that they've gone about something. Well, um, you know, the, 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 the instant message, DMing someone and asking the question is probably one of the best ways to go about that. Yes. And, and if you guys, you know, if, if I DM you and we said that there's value with that, then what, we ask the question online and then share that with other people. We don't, it's not to invoke arguments. Like Howard has the great, gosh, I can't believe I'm going to give Howard a compliment. He always has a saying, you know, don't pick up the rope. You know, when, mm. when someone puts stuff out there and they want you to get that rope and have that tug of war to start that fight, just don't pick mm. the rope up. Mm. Yeah. There's no, there's no value in it. And people that do that, if you're actually trolling, you know, double H canine right now to leave bad comments, man, you need to fix your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, that's what you're, if that's what you're doing this evening, you need to fix yourself. 
I've uh, I've fallen into that trap, Howard. I wish I would have met you before. I, I didn't get that piece of advice before. We were, we were. I made I made the cardinal sin of doing of actually posting like a Facebook live video of an event we were doing, and that's that's just stupid, right? Because now <laughs> now you can't explain crap what's happening. In this in this case, we're doing an integration into SWAT, and uh, we had two decoys, and the it, visually the dog could see the decoy go into this building. And then we'd let about 30 seconds pass by and we still wanted him to sniff shallow just in case that guy was shallow and these dogs were over penetrating and going. Well, we had a second decoy there to help that dog understand that, hey, you still have to go shallow. You can't just over penetrate and go on visualization. You still got to use that nose. Well, as soon as as soon as I decide to pick up the video and start doing this, there's no opportunity to explain. So everyone's right. like, why is that dog in a fatal funnel? Why would you do this? And why would you do that? And it's like, we're doing this in steps. And I'm, I'm a dummy. So I tried to explain all of that. And about, right. I, I spent 45 minutes of my time instead <laughs> of being present with the guys in, that were there, right? Really good dudes. Uh, I was fighting people on Facebook. And then I'm just like, what the hell am I doing here? But I mean, that's, a, that's an example of, of picking up that rope and just getting them back and forth. Well, just, we just, all- just remember, you, you don't get paid for that. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And don't let somebody live in your head rent free. You know, we all we all know people who have something to say about everything that's posted and that you're doing it wrong and you're calling it the wrong name and this, that, and the other. And at the end of the day, like none of us are here in this game to to do harm. We're here to help people and help their dogs. Amen. And you know, that's kind of where I take solace in that. So Rich, before you hopped on, Stephen had brought up a, an interesting study, basically hemp versus marijuana and, and dogs being able to discriminate against the two. So I'm going to pass it over to Stephen real quick and let him kind of explain about that. And then I want to oh. get both of y'all's. Um, I had no idea where we're going there today. Cool. Yeah. yeah so no, uh, let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, folks, we're proud to have Hold the Line Canine Conference as a supporter and sponsor of the Working Dog Depot podcast. Joe Lukowski and staff are already securing vendors and presenters for the seminar in April. That's April 9th, 10th, and 11th in a brand new location. That's right, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We are especially excited about that. It's going to tra- cut our travel time in half, and there's nothing like being in the Carolinas in early April. Well, that's Hold the Line Canine Conference. We're very much looking forward to being there and hope to see you all there. Thank you. So, so three years ago, well, actually more than that, 2019, when the farm bill passed, the U.S. farm bill passed, making hemp legal, the question arose, if hemp is essentially cannabis and we have marijuana-trained dogs, will these marijuana-trained dogs alert to hemp, right? Essentially, legally speaking, the only difference would be the amount of Delta 9 THC, right? Anything uh, above 0.3% or, or above would be considered marijuana. Anything below would be considered hemp. And it scared a lot of people because none of us were really prepared when that bill came out to do any research. So uh, the question was arose and a lot of people did their own research, focusing on the THC level itself, thinking that would be the answer. Because, you know, for currency trained dogs, we like to utilize the amount of currency as something that the dog is part of that picture for the dog. You don't want him to hit on three or four bills. You want him to hit on 100 bills or whatever it may be. So that threshold and, and that amount was something that a lot of people focused on. We were, we were blessed enough to work with FIU, uh, Florida International University. And most of us know like the big canine research uh, organizations or colleges is, you know, Texas Tech, FIU, Auburn University, Penn State. 
right? Most of the, most of us are familiar with them, and and specifically FIU because we've already had a, like a working relationship with them. So I'm not going to bore people with the whole study, but I will say this: um, we took 24 dogs from three different states, all different ages, and initially we did find that the dogs were generalizing hemp as marijuana, and we wasn't necessarily a surprise. But what we found through just a week's worth of training after we would agree on the training module and how we would do everything the same is literally within three or four rotations of these drills, the dogs were already able to discriminate between hemp and marijuana. And originally we had eight hemp samples. And then as a test, we introduced four samples of hemp that the dogs had never been exposed to. And the success rate was like upper 90s absolutely great. But of course, this happened during COVID time. So that study continued to kind of get on the back burner. Well, I'm happy to say that in two weeks, that study is finally going to be out for peer review. It's going to be published and peer reviewed. And just uh, this past Tuesday, we added for those same dogs, including mine, we introduced 17 different hemp products to the dogs that never been exposed to. We literally took them out of the packaging, uh, individualized each package in an apparatus where it contained that odor. And the dogs overall, so I had six dogs yesterday, 102 um, exposures to hemp, and we only had two falses, which gave us about a 98% success rate in that. So hemp products they had never seen before. We did everything from testing amounts of hemp. We got 200 pounds of hemp, put it in a trunk, had the dog sniff that, ignore it, put them in there, and go to less than you know a couple grams of marijuana in the center console. So we did all of this research understanding that marijuana can be legalized tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people would argue like, man, you guys put a lot of time and effort into that. Are you worried about that? So first off, we hope to have Dr. Furton and, and, and Dr. Frank be on the podcast to talk more about the scientific portion of that study. Because I think one thing that we all need to take away from that study is that the THC volume was not the answer to the dog. We understand in a lab, when they were able to test the vapor pressure of THC, it's basically nothing. So we know the dogs are not uh, honing in on that because we've even tested it and the dogs do not hit on the THC. It's everything else. Our best educated guess would be the turbines in the actual products. Turbines. The combination of them are very specific to marijuana and are different when you change the chemical compound of that. So again, I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be one. I could just tell you I've been around the study for three years. So I've been, it's been my whole life. So we're really, really happy about that. We're actually uh, guys in Wisconsin who are part of the, I'm going to try to, I'm going to butcher this. It's the Wisconsin Law Enforcement Handler Association. I think I got that right. I was putting on an event here at the end of the month. And I guess today is the 7th of September. So toward the end of the month, we're going over there and we're doing the first hemp versus marijuana uh, certifications where we're going to introduce them to the study and everything we did. There's like 150 guys up there we're going to run through. And I think this is going to be the, the standard for the industry, hopefully, because we know it can happen, but the dogs need to be trained to do so. So anyway, uh, you guys are hearing this for the first time. What is your knee-jerk reactions to this? And maybe not knee-jerk, but what is your genuine reactions and what questions may you have that other you think may um, others may have? I, you know, I mentioned before we started recording, I would, if you had asked me, if they could discern or differentiate between the two, I would have, I would have told you no. Mm -hmm. And that's just, just based on my limited understanding of how, of what hemp is and what marijuana is. The fact that it can be done, uh, that's encouraging. I don't know if that will be applicable to us in, in where we are right now mm -hmm. in North Carolina, but if the protocol is available, I'm sure we could figure it out. 
and uh, we could make that happen. But that it's very interesting. Oh, it goes back to the, the 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 ability of these wonderful animals that we all have fallen in love with and and are trying to trying to mark a career with, right? That very 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 cool, uh, great great study. I mean, that's very interesting to me. I can't wait for it to come out to read it. That's uh, yeah, very interesting to read it. Out. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we're we're proud of that. Um, it it took a long time because we wanted to get it right. Sure. At the end of the day, we, the whole idea was to make sure that we're doing something to make our industry better. And um, hopefully others will, will recognize that because the truth is in the study, we kind of go you know step by step how we did it because we don't want others to depend on us to do it for them. We have to teach these fishermen how to fish, right? We can't yeah. just give people fish. Um, that's how you serve our industry. So one of the cool things that, uh, that we learned through that study is we could get these dogs to discriminate uh, hemp versus marijuana while still simultaneously generalizing crack cocaine and cocaine and powder cocaine. Right. So we didn't lose that ability for that dog to be like, well, I have to be really specific now on everything that I've been trained on in the past. We didn't see anything specific on like age or sex of the dog or breed. None of those things seem to play a role in that. As a matter of fact, one, one of the most important things I think that we, we found was we took an absolute green dog and because uh, this was, we knew this was going to be a question, and we trained that dog. And I won't, I won't say specifically what pseudo we use, but we introduced that dog to a marijuana pseudo, and that dog only knew that marijuana pseudo. That was the only dog in the whole study that hit on every hemp product and mm. marijuana. Every mm. other dog, when exposed to eight hemp samples, alerted to either fifty percent. Just to 80%, somewhere where I was like the majority of the sweet spot. This was the only dog that hit on everyone. So one of the things we learned is if you have a, a marijuana trained dog that's that was taught on a pseudo and you're trying to teach it to discriminate between hemp and marijuana, essentially you're training in circles. Because in that in that specific marijuana pseudo, essentially hemp and marijuana is there. And that makes sense because when it was created, it was before this hemp bill. Uh, so it may it, it wouldn't be something that they would have created with the forethought that this may change in the future. Right. But something oh, they could change. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. And they need to know that, and they need to be open to that study and and yes. and change it. Yeah, right on, right on. Cool. That's some cutting edge stuff there, man. Good. That's a great study. I can't wait to read that one. I'll make sure I'll send it to you guys um, as soon yeah, as I can. Please, hopefully, please. hopefully as soon as next week, we'll be able to kind of privately send it to the people that we want to take a look at it. And then for the masses, it'll be available in two weeks. And then nice. maybe we could pass along the the doctors that are going to be coming on our show. Yeah, um, I think what's going to end up happening is we'll get them on early and uh, they'll talk about by the time we release the episode, it'll just have to be after it was peer reviewed. But we'll figure that out. Either way, good stuff. I'll let the scientists speak about the science. I'm just super impressed with the results as a, as a handler, super happy with what we were able to accomplish there. Absolutely. So we've been going about 45 minutes almost um, talking to you guys and asking questions. And since we're going to release this uh, episode on y'all's show, do you guys want to take turns asking us some questions? Yeah, I, I do want to, I do want to publicly recognize you, St uh, Stephen, uh, simply because you know that, Rich and I struggled with getting this podcast started, and uh, we we tried our hand at it. And uh, I just really wanted to to thank you publicly because you have been extremely helpful in in helping us get started. You helped us find an editor. You helped us find the platform that we could post on. We have really done bare bones, as I mentioned before. We we don't have uh, we're not using 
the platform that you're using. And we are literally, we've got barely upgraded mics, <laughs> but we're about to celebrate our, our first year, October 11th will be our first, we've done it for one year. So we've got 20, this will be episode 26. Bad. And, uh, I think, I don't know what the, the odds are. I think the odds are pretty good. I don't think many podcasts make it into a year. So, uh, <laughs> I think the percentage is pretty high for us. No, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. And, you know, you helped me out. You drove all the way up uh, to North Carolina and then uh, worked worked uh, with my dog. And then Rich gave me a bunch of good info when, at the seminar in Georgia. So uh, definitely, definitely appreciate that. And I do like to use this platform because you guys can see at the bottom, there's an audio file for each of us. And if Rich is too low or Howard's too you know, that can be edited independently, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm really enjoying your guys' podcast. I really, and I'm not just saying that I wouldn't say that if I didn't think it was true. And, uh, I think you guys are doing a good job and, um, you need to stick with it. Well, thank you. It's been fun. We, we enjoy it. It's, it's been a good time. It really has great conversations. Good people. We've met a lot of nice people. That's great yeah. conversation. So. I, I would say what a perfect example of, you know, in an industry that could be cutthroat, guys finding ways to help each other out. There's plenty of business. There's plenty of opportunity for everybody. Uh, it's really cool to see guys get together who are like-minded, who just want to make the industry better. And whatever, however that happens, it'd be different ways. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, but it's just cool to see all that come together. Well, and, and I will say this, I, I, in the beginning, before you guys started doing it, I was like, man, two guys that uh, don't really talk a lot you know like you're the guys when you guys do talk like people should listen and i was like man i'm interested to see how this 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 plays out because mm. you know you guys aren't like talkative robots and uh you, you're really doing a great job with it it's, it's uh you know i i enjoy it well, well thank, thank you thanks thanks for and thanks for listening we appreciate yeah. it because we howard and i both just thought our, our wives would be the only one listening so <laughs> <laughs> howard howard and i's first episode still has the most downloads out of any episode that, that we've done to date and then we're going Super on three cool. years here nice. that doesn't make any sense at all but that's true. <laughs> it's true uh, it's true it was howard's up. wife just downloading downloading, yeah, downloading, she downloading. Be. <laughs> lisa's got she's got a, a one of those bots that does it for her exactly. there you go <laughs> So I want to hear about the, the, the dogs and brews. Is is that yeah. the correct name? Canines and brews. Canines yeah. and brews. Yeah. So is, is that your, was that your idea? Mm -mm. So I don't know if you guys follow or are friends with Brittany Howard on Facebook. She's like a redheaded dog trainer. Um, I don't know if that rings any bells, but I, I had saw her post something about doing something similar at, uh, you know, in a group setting and in, in that type of environment. And I was like, wow, like, some of my best friends own the brewery over here. They're army guys, special forces. One of my clients that I've helped train a dog for mobility because she's, she's elderly and she's got some issues and she's, you know, prone to, to getting off balance. And I helped this dog, you know, support her physically. And we went to the airport um, a couple of weeks ago, went through TSA, did the whole thing training wise. They own a very popular restaurant over there. And then down Valley, I met these new people that opened a new brewery and they're Marines. So I was like, you know what? Like, I'm so tired. I don't know if you guys have spent, I know Howard has, but Colorado, it's like people just think that they can just have their dog off leash and, and it's okay for it to come over to your table at the restaurant and sniff and touch you or lay down in the middle of the walkway and all of this. And honestly, it was because I got a little pissy about that. 
Like every time I go over to this brewery, I got to step over somebody's dog and I personally don't want to get bit in the crotch. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. And also this is a very weird economic area. Like the billionaires are over there and then there's a trailer park over there and there's no in between. Like, and so as a way to attract clients with a cheaper level of entrance, I, I, I thought this would be a great idea. So I charged $30. I limit it to 10 dogs. We get the whole patio. And for the first 10, 20 minutes, I lecture on how dogs learn. I explain classical conditioning. I, I have my table full of gear, leashes, collars, toys, treats, medical, medical supplies. And I kind of just go over that. And then I go over the four B's, no barking, no biting, no begging, and, and no blocking the pathways. And then I take questions from everybody individually, which typically leads to me handling their dog and showing them how to work through these issues. And also then we take time to do pass-bys. And I would say like 20% of the people actually are confident enough to do it themselves with their dog. The rest of the people want me to handle the dog. And, um, you know, we just walk by and, you know, it, it's kind of chaotic for like the first five minutes as far as the dogs, but they always settle. And then I'm like, Hey, you guys randomly reinforce that dog while we're talking. Like they're not barking. They're not fixating. They're not lunging. They're, they're laying down around 10 other dogs and all of these people. And, uh, we get to drink beer while we do it. So, I mean, like, you know, what, what's better than that? <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a win-win. I'm yes, in. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that's pretty clever. Yeah. I, I've, you know, the last lesson, um, I hired the, the, the girl, she's a board director for warrior dog foundation. She bought a five pack of lessons that night. I actually, I sold three, five packs of lessons to three new clients that night. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's going great. It's going great. Nice. The power of alcohol. That's right. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's right. People believe anything when they're drinking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Nice. No, that's, that's, that's great, man. It's good. Good stuff. Absolutely. So, Steven, I met you at hits mm-hmm. and you were there representing, who were you there representing? I was, I was there with one of my mentors. Okay. Shout out to Paul Curtis. Paul is uh sniff the, industries, the creator of the court system. It's the sniff industries is the name of the company, but it's a detection tool that um, I think has, it was what oh, we used. It, it was the what we used for the hemp versus marijuana stuff. I think okay. it was one of the main reasons why we were able to have such success. And Paul has been on here before, but I think we need to have him on here again now that 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 piece of apparatus has really taken off. Paul's done it for a long time. He's a super humble guy. I can't believe I'm saying nice things about Paul Curtis right now. This is definitely going to bite me in the butt when he hears this. But um, for sure, it, it's a product that we did a lot of the kind of research and development part. We broke a lot of these boxes and had a lot of complaints about them before we got them right. And uh, Paul's an engineer at heart. So he's always thinking about ways of, you know, this type of dog may do this. So let me make sure I'm bulletproofing this part of this, you know, the box or whatever. So it's hard to, it's always hard to explain the actual training equipment in the boxes. It's always easier to show it. But yeah, that's, that's who I was there. I was helping a friend of mine who has helped me immensely in my career. And I was there to, to spread the word about the good work he's done over the years. Yeah. Howard, awesome. was, was that the same guy we talked to at the whole line conference? I believe Probably. it was. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's Paul yeah. Curtis. Yeah, he's I, mean, I like to get the, I like those. That was, uh, I like what they were doing. I want to get a set of those. Yeah. Yep. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to Paul. He's got, he's got <laughs> a couple of government contracts now, so I'm sure he's sitting fat eating, uh, and eating some good food and drinking some good, uh, what does Paul drink? Vodka, vodka and lemonade. So okay. uh, there you go. With a, with an umbrella and this, 
pinky up like this. There you go. That's the way to come back, Stephen. There you go. <laughs> so, so your guys' podcast is going to be a year. What uh, what can we expect this next year to be like? What in a perfect world yeah, situation? Goals. What what are those goals? What are some of the cool uh, guests that you guys want to have on? Do you have any goals for this next year? What what do we what do you think? Well, we haven't actually sat down and talked about it yet, but it's a good time to do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I became really obsessed with the numbers, the mm. data, and I think uh, Sway, you you know that they provide there's up to the minute data on on episodes because uh and I just became really enamored with what I could get from that. So I th- I think one of the things that we've learned is that the majority of our listeners outside of family are canine handlers mm. and, and some trainers. I, I was really pleasantly surprised when we were at hits and I would have conversations with folks and I would ask, ask them if they're a podcast listener first, because mm-hmm. one of the things I've learned, if you're not a listener, you're not going to, you're not going to really recruit somebody to begin to listen no. to podcasts. But yeah. if they're already listening to podcasts, I would ask them if they, if they listen to this one or our, ours in particular. And I was really pleasantly surprised that, I came across a lot of listeners. And uh, one of the things I think we've tried to do is to get guests that haven't been overly exposed. And I think there are some that that have been overly exposed. And mm. those guys, typically, they don't want to do them either because <laughs> it's, it's the same thing over and over again. But I don't know. I'd like to see it grow. I don't know. We maybe need to look at putting it on YouTube, but I'm, I'm actually... I'm pretty pleased with how it's grown so far. Me too. I'm, I'm happy with the people we've had on and the conversations we've had because the end goal was for me and Howard to be able to talk to each other occasionally because we've, you know, had a friendship for quite a while and, and then to have people on that can help the dog world, you know, cause we truly want to make the dog world a better place. We really want to give information to handlers that don't have access to that information and, and just give them a, a little piece to say, Hey, you know, it's, it's out there. If we can help you, let us know. Contact us. We'll, we'll help you. You know, I, I can say, Howard, twice now in two different airports, one in Houston and then one in Denver. One guy I saw, he had a USMC patch on his back, and uh, I started bullshitting with him, asked him if he was a podcast listener. He said he was. I said, oh, well, I, I have the Dogs of War podcast. He goes, are you Sway? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? I couldn't believe it. You know, it had nothing to do with canine, you know, and then, and then it happened again. Uh, it's happened twice. And uh, it's, a, it's a good feeling, man. Like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's cool. And I, I started this, uh, luckily, Stephen came on board in this last year. And um, initially, this was for veterans and to tell their stories, their traumas and how they healed. And then, you know, as I got more involved in the dog world and met guys like you guys, all great people, then, then I started like, you know what, I want to, uh, you know, open this up to, to the canine world and first responders, man. And, and it's been great. And I, if I had to give any advice, you know, it would be to kind of, if you guys sit down and talk, maybe think about other angles that you can incorporate into it. So it's not just the same. So that way you open up your base to a little bit more, you know, we're all in it for, for, for the right reasons, but I'm going on next this month, actually, actually in about two weeks, this will be my third year. Yeah. Did you see a change in listenership when you opened it up? Yes, I did. I did for sure. Because in the beginning, and that's why I just gave that little tidbit of Mm -hmm. advice is because it was so closed off. It was just like my Marine Mm -hmm. brothers supporting it. Mm -hmm. And then I think I'm up to 20,000 downloads this year. 
once I opened it up to canines and I started having cops on and I, I, I think I've, you know, had a couple other first responder type people and it just, it grew substantially. And, you know, I've got sponsors now, like where I'm actually making the mon- enough money to, to cover the costs of the podcast and, you know, I don't have to come out of pocket anymore. And with yeah. that, I've gotten better equipment and stuff like that. I definitely would recommend headphones are great because if you're not wearing headphones and we have multiple people on, luckily everybody here is well-versed in, in how to do a podcast. But if somebody's not, and there's more than two people, like you step on each other. But when you have headphones on, you hear it immediately and it's it's easier to kind of avoid that. Also, you know, the, the good microphone. I like this Zencaster, so this platform that we're using now because we can all see each other, but mm-hmm. everybody has a separate audio channel and that's huge, man. Once you get into like, if your guests are all on one channel, then it's very hard for the producer. It's impossible for him to make Rich higher and Howard lower if it's on the same channel. Yeah. And, and it records it in, a, in the proper file type. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, to Sway's point, I think one of my, some of my favorite podcasts were, you know, one with Will Chesney where we talked about not only mm-hmm. what he did for the SEAL teams, but mental health. And it, it was just, it, it was not rehearsed. We didn't even talk about going there. It just happened organically great episode there and you know that's a different different uh you know base of listeners there and then we had you know george from hsi talking about you know saving kids from that were trafficked um not too long ago we actually recorded that while we're a hits and so had nothing to do with really dogs or the focus wasn't specifically about dogs but the value to our listeners was i still feel immense and there were guys just coming from different worlds but we're all in the same mission all in the same team we all still have the same kind of uh, perspective on life. We we want we want to make the world better. We want to make our industry better. We want to do that um, by collaborating with people and, and building people up, not breaking people down. Because kudos to you guys for putting good good training videos and 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 producing things with solid information. You guys know as much as I do. There's some really bad information out there, and that's what we're competing against. Sure. And uh, if if there's not voices speaking the truth about the realities of how difficult this industry is and how difficult it is to handle a dog. Uh, My fear has always been, you know, 80% of the stuff that's out there is is not very good and it's malicious, you know, because they're thinking about the old mighty dollar. And if I ever get that way, I want you guys to punch me square in the face and remember (laughs) the conversation because we're really in it for the right reasons. I I truly believe that. So, you know, kudos to you guys for being a part of that, that movement. Well, thank you, man. We really appreciate that. And, you know, Good, good job having people like you mentioned, Will Chesney. I listened to that episode and big, big shout out to him and for guys like him willing to come on mm. and talk about that. And it's right. letting these guys and gals out there know you are not alone. You know, all we, every, you know, these folks, those other folks battling the same demons and there's places mm. to go to get this help. And just to hearing them to come forward and talk about that and people, people will, will get help because of it. And that's a, that's a good thing. So good, good for him. And I appreciate that, that for him to, because uh, it takes a lot of courage to talk about that stuff. So, Amen. And, and he's very closed off. And I do remember Steven afterwards, you know, like, dude, good job getting him to open up like that. Cause you know, he's, he's kind of a very humble person and, and, you know, short spoken. And mm-hmm. that's kind of, I, I see with you guys that you were able to talk to people in a way that you can maybe open their shell up a little bit more than, mm-hmm. than normal people. And, and that's what makes a good podcast. So with what Steven that. said, kudos. And we'll start uh, wrapping it up here. I, I just have one one more question here and then um, I'll let Steven do one and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump off. I know you guys are busy and definitely appreciate your time. But so for each of you, 
we'll start with Howard on this one and then uh, we'll go to Rich. If you could give anybody advice that's in police canine world right now, maybe as a new handler, kind of struggling, what would it be? And what, what would you guys do differently looking back on your career kind of in that same, uh, you know, position or time frame? I know it's kind of a broad question, but just some wisdom and something that you might do differently. Well, I think it's, this is one of those things that's probably easier said than done, but that's to remain encouraged. This this whole thing is a game of failures. It, it's, it's rigged. There are way more failures than there are successes. And if you focus on all those failures, you will continue to plummet. And, you know, there's going to be times that, you know, we call it training. Training isn't always a steady progression in an upward, you know, mm-hmm. incline. There's there's hills and valleys and that that dog, as Rich says, licks it licks its butt every day, and <laughs> things don't always go the way we think they should go. And sometimes those things are out of our control. But we, uh, I think, just to just remember that it is a game of failures, and that uh, success will come. It's just may not come when you expect it. Good advice, yeah. Mr. Rich. First and foremost, if you're a brand new handler or canine, stay off of YouTube. <laughs> and TikTok. Yeah, you get, get off social media because, again, people are only showing you those wave tops. If you're new, don't do those things and shut your mouth. Learn how to be a great handler. You're not a trainer. You're learning to be a handler. Handlers become trainers sometimes over the course of their careers, but you're a handler. Uh, and you need to focus on being a really good handler and learn what your responsibilities are first before you begin to open your mouth. That, that's the best advice I can give new guys. And as far as my career, if I could change anything, I wouldn't change a thing because I, I became a canine officer in a small agency that uh, I had to do a lot of extra work to be good at, at that job. And I wouldn't change a thing because of it. Uh, it. It made me appreciate over the years what I was able to garner and learn. And then the appreciation I had for that small agency to be able to send me or allow me the time off to go do those things when we didn't have the people. It's a big appreciation that I have for them, and I would I would not change one thing. Right on, right on. Well, this is just as much your podcast as it is ours. So, why don't you guys wrap it up and either close with uh, any any special notes or any questions or any however you guys want to close? Definitely shout out your social media and your businesses for sure. I keep talking about social media. I do spend probably more more time perusing than I do posting. But uh, I can be found on Facebook under Howard Young and also Whitebeard Canine. I'm also on Instagram, Howard underscore WBK9. And that's pretty much it. We don't have a website. Awesome. Well, you know, our main business is Double H Canine. Uh, it's doublehcanine.com. We have Facebook, social medias under those things. Instagram, you can find me at Instagram at Rich Harden. And then uh, we're also on the Working Dog Depot. That was part of a working dog thing we had, but we turned that into our podcast. Yeah. So, so Howard's actually on Working Dog Deep Talk too. So, you know. <laughs> awesome. awesome. You can, well, you can find find us there, man. We we appreciate you. Yeah, and if you're, if you're if you're listening to this and you wanted to get any information on some of the topics like hemp versus marijuana we talked about, um, we're going to be posting that on our website too, nextlevelk9texas.com, and everything else is Next Level Canine Texas Instagram and all the socials. Also, um, I'm pretty sure you guys are on all the platforms, uh, Working Dog Depot podcast for my audience. You might not um, yes. listen to their podcast. Please mm-hmm. go and check them out. There's plenty of badass episodes on there, and I'm sure more to come. So my business is Oracle Canine Training. You can find that on Facebook and Google for anybody in, interested in the pet dog side of stuff. But uh, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you guys all for your time. 
And uh, yeah, that's all I got. So guys, hang in there. And if you need anything, reach out. Thanks, guys. It's been fun. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right. Have a good night. Thanks so much, you guys, for following along, supporting us, and listening to these wonderful conversations that Howard and I are just blessed to have each and every day. We'd like to thank and support all of our first responders, police, fire, EMS, and our military for once again holding the line, keeping us safe. Stay safe, brothers and sisters. We love you. God bless, and God bless America.